Good morning. It's Monday morning, March 30th, and this morning I'm going to read the chapter about Mahmud. They're in Lesbos, Greece, to Athens, Greece in 2015, and they are 12 days from home. Mahmud was in another tent city. The paved parking lot at the pier of Lesbos was full of the kinds of camping tents sold in sporting goods stores. Round-topped, single-family tents of blue and green, and white and yellow and red, all provided by Greek relief workers who knew the refugees had nowhere to stay while they waited for the ferry to Athens to come. Wet clothes were hung out to dry on bicycle racks and traffic signs, and refugees gathered around camp stoves and hot plates. It should have been a lively place full of songs and laughter like the Calice refugee camp. But instead, a soft, mournful murmur of conversation hung over the tent city like a fog. Mohammed wasn't surprised. His family felt exactly the same way. They all should have been excited to finally be in Greece, to be allowed to buy real tickets to travel on an actual ferry to mainland Europe. But too many of them had lost someone in the sea, crossing to be happy. Mahmud's mother had gone from tent to tent asking after Hannah. Mahmud had helped. It was his fault she was gone after all. But no one at the dock had her, and no one had been on the dinghy that had taken her. Refugees came and went, but the tents remained, and Mahmud's mother insisted they miss the next ferry to Athens so she could ask each new round of refugees for word of her daughter. But no one knew anything about her. Mahmud felt as sick as he had on the dinghy. He couldn't look at his mother. She had to blame him for losing Hannah. He certainly blamed himself. He couldn't sleep at night. He kept picturing his sister's dinghy bursting on the rocks, Hannah falling into the water, none of them there to help her. Mahmud's mother wanted to stay at the dock longer, didn't want to leave without knowing what happened to Hannah, but Dad told her they had to move on. There was no telling when the ferry line might suddenly decide to stop selling tickets to refugees, or when Greece might decide to send them all home. They had to keep moving, or they would die. Hannah had to have gone ahead of them on the morning ferry they'd missed that first day, or else. No one wanted to think about the or else. The huge Athens ferry arrived again that morning. It was the length of a soccer field and at least five stories tall. The bottom half of it was painted blue and blue star ferries was written in big words on the side. A radar bar spun near the bridge and antennas and satellite dishes sprouted from the roof. It looked like the pictures Mama had seen of cruise ships. Its lifeboats alone were bigger than the dinghy they had left Turkey in. Mama tried to get Walid interested in the big ship to get him excited about their first trip on a boat that big. But his little brother didn't care. He didn't seem to care about anything. A big ramp on the back lowered and refugees streamed on board the ferry. Mahmud's mother wept as they climbed a ramp with the other passengers. She kept looking back over her shoulder at the tent city, 
hoping, Mamad was sure, to catch a glimpse of someone carrying a baby who might be Hannah, but she never did. The inside of the ferry was like the lobby of a fancy hotel. Every floor had little clusters of glass tables and white upholstered chairs. Snack bars sold chips and sweets and sodas, and televisions played a Greek soccer game. Refugees who still had belongings stuffed their backpacks and trash bags under tables and into the overhead compartments. Mamad and his family settled into one of the booths and his father searched for a plug to charge his phone. Mamad, why don't you take your brother and explore the ship? Dad told him. Mamad was only too glad to get away from the sight of his mother's broken face and he took Walid by the hand and pulled him out onto the promenade that ran around the outside of the ship. Mamad and Walid watched silently as the ferry pulled away from the dock, the ship's huge engines thrumming deep below them. The awful sea that had tried to swallow them was calm and sapphire blue now. The Greek island of Lesbos was actually beautiful when you saw it from the sea. Little white buildings with terracotta roofs rose up tree-covered hills, and on top of one of the hills was an ancient gray castle. Mamad could see why people visited there on vacation. Besides the refugees, there were a number of tourists on board. Mamad could tell they weren't refugees because they wore clean clothes and used their phones for taking pictures instead of looking up overland routes from Athens to Macedonia. Another refugee had laid out a mat on the deck and he was praying. In all the bustle of waiting in line and getting on board, Mamad had lost track of what time it was, and he pulled his brother down with him to pray alongside the man. As he kneeled and stood, kneeled and stood, Mamad was supposed to be focused only on his prayers. But he couldn't help notice the uneasy looks the tourists were giving them, the frowns of displeasure, like Mamad and his brother and this man were doing something wrong. The vacationers dropped their voices, and even though Mamad couldn't understand what they were saying, he could hear the disgust in their words. This wasn't what the tourists had paid for. They were supposed to be on holiday, seeing ancient ruins and beautiful Greek beaches, not stepping over filthy, praying refugees. They only see us when we do something they don't want us to do, Mamad realized. The thought hit him like a lightning bolt. When they stayed where they were supposed to be, in the ruins of Aleppo or behind the fences of a refugee camp, people could forget about them. But when refugees did something they didn't want them to do, when they tried to cross the border into their country, or slept on the front stoops of their shops, or jumped in front of their cars, or prayed on the decks of their ferries, that's when people couldn't ignore them any longer. Mamad's first instinct was to disappear below decks to be invisible. Being invisible in Syria had kept him alive. But now Mamad began to wonder if being invisible in Europe might be the death of him and his family. If no one saw them, no one could help them. And maybe the world needed to see what was really happening here. It was hard not to see the refugees in Athens when Mamad got there. Syrians were everywhere in the streets and hotels and markets. Most of them, like Mamad's family, planning to move on as soon as they could. Mamad's father thought he had the right documents to travel freely in Greece. 
But a woman at an immigration office told him he would need to go to a local police station first to get an official document. And the police told him he would have to wait up to a week. We can't wait a week, Mamet's father told his family. They had found a hotel for 10 euros a night per, per person, and the people of Athens were very friendly and helpful. But Mamet knew his parents only had so much money, and they still had four more countries to cross before they reached Germany. Mamet's mother would have stayed a week or even longer to keep asking everyone she met if they had seen a baby named Hannah. But it was decided they would take a train to the border of Macedonia and try to sneak across during the night. That's the end of this chapter. I thought it was interesting, this quote. They only see us when we do something they don't want us to do, Mom had realized. I wonder what we can do to help refugees. I know right now it's a crazy time with this virus, but maybe that's something we can think about of how we can help refugees who are around the world. Well, that's it for today. I'll be back tomorrow to record the next chapter. I hope you're enjoying these. See you later on Zoom. Bye, guys. I miss you.